Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the Catelicast, the number one podcast, in my opinion, that covers your favorite teams linked by Catella Avenue, the Anaheim Ducks, and the Los Angeles Angels. I'm your host, Saimiake. Please follow us on Twitter at Catelicast Show, and please listen, share, download, or review this podcast found on all platforms. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And let's let's get right into it. So, the Angels. Uh, it's been a while since I've uh, since I've recorded an episode. Just been really busy with moving and a lot of life stuff. But let's get into the Angels. So, I want to start off with the May first Sunday game against the Chicago White Sox. Now, this was in Chicago at is it Guaranteed Rate Field now? Is what. Um, what they call the ballpark the White Sox play in used to be U.S. Cellular Field with the weird smokestack things in center field. But anyways, so Michael Michael Lorenzen, right, who I've been very skeptical. Uh, I'm still it, – it's not, it's not that I don't think he's a good pitcher. I just don't know how long is he going to last as a starting pitcher, right? Is his arm going to give out? Is he going to start to get fatigued down the, down the season or something like that? But – so far, so good. He has been a very worthy investment for the Angels. So he's dealing, right? He has gone through eight innings, and then all of a sudden the Angels score in the top of the ninth inning. They score two more runs, and then so I think yeah, they're up. They're, okay, they're up six nothing, right? It was four nothing, then it was six nothing, and it was a pretty long inning. It's a really cold day in Chicago in uh, the first of May, and so I was just thinking, okay, uh, Lorenzen's not going to go out there. Right, he had did his fantastic eight shutout innings. He really labored through the seventh and eighth innings and got got really lucky to be totally honest. But I figure he's not gonna he's not gonna come back out. And then sure enough, Joe Madden sends him out there. I go, what what are you doing? What 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 is he doing out there? Like don't 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 tempt it. And then sure enough, Chicago scores five runs. They bring in Rysel Iglesias. Unfortunately, he can't. Um, he can't finish the, finish the job, close the door, because he probably just kicked his feet up in the bullpen and was thinking, oh, okay, Lorenz is going to go back in. Uh, this game's going to be over. We're up 6 nothing. I can just I can just coast. And so he had to come out, and then they bring in Ryan Tapera, who got a ground out to Jared Walsh with two outs. Uh, tying run is on third base. I think the winning run was on second base as well, and then inning over game over and the angels barely escaped so i wasn't too i wasn't too bummed that they got shut out in the next game on monday because i just figured hey they should have lost that game on may 1st so that's just i i don't understand and joe madden i mean he's an easy target and he's it's very easy to complain about some of the decisions joe madden makes but at the end of the day you really can't rationalize a lot of the things that he does, especially 27 lineups in 27 games now, that's that's a little ridiculous. I 
I understand you have certain matchups and all of that, but especially when Joe Madden is not really an an, an he's not an analytical manager at all, right? He's not in this new age of Moneyball managers uh, like a Kevin Cash or um, even Dave Roberts, right? He's a very old school baseball guy, so you don't you need the continuity and you keep benching Jared Walsh when he is definitely improved in the offseason to hit against lefties and to hit opposite field and then you keep benching him for left for a right-handed batter who is clearly not better than Jared Walsh but we'll we'll talk well, you know what yeah let's get into Jared Walsh so all of a sudden Jared Walsh is remembering how to hit the ball and he's just driving the ball he has what eight RBIs in the last uh, in the last 24 hours basically in the last two games of the Boston series where the Angels won 10 to 5 and then totally blew out the uh, Red Sox last night 8 nothing or not last night yesterday it was a day game 8 nothing and it, it's kind of strange because everybody's saying oh Jared Walsh is back Jared Walsh is back well he should have never been out of the lineup to begin with because again with it's so difficult for me to try to rationalize Joe Madden's thinking because not only is Jared Walsh an elite hitter and somebody that you need to keep in the lineup, especially if you're going to be giving Taylor Ward a day off, Otani a day off, Trout a day off, you need an extra, a big bat in there to keep the, keep the opposing pitchers on their toes. And then you also need the bat in the lineup pretty much every day because then you don't have such a top-heavy lineup, which has been, which was the Angels' problem at the beginning of the season. But now that Jared Walsh, I think, has, getting, has been getting consistent at-bats, and especially with the off-season adjustments he's made, he's killing the ball because he's getting the timing down. He's getting that confidence back up. And I just think that Jared Walsh should be playing every single day. And then also you have to remember, hey, this guy was a Gold Glove finalist at first base. And he could also play the outfield too, instead of having, instead of having somebody like Jack Mayfield who hasn't played the outfield since high school or college. And Jerry Walsh filled in pretty well in the outfield last year, so I don't understand why he keeps getting taken out of the lineup. And eventually, eventually, especially with the game on Thursday, right? Uh, they gave they gave Trout a day off, and then they had um, who was it that they gave a day off? No, actually, never mind. But they they kind of just said that, oh, this was a B lineup or whatever, and then they put Jerry Walsh out there, even though they were they were uh, playing against Rich Hill, right, left-handed pitcher. And there were people saying, oh, it's it's because they, they're forced to put Jerry Walsh in there. Well, you shouldn't be forced to put Jerry Walsh in the lineup. He has made tremendous improvements at the plate, still is a gold-glove uh, caliber fielder at first base, who bails out a lot of bad throws from Angels infielders. And you need that. You just you need that level of uh, you just you just need an elevated level in your lineup. You can't be putting out guys like Jose Rojas, who in my opinion should still not be on the major league roster. Uh, Jack Mayfield's a fine backup, but you shouldn't be putting him in the outfield. And you just you need to have somebody to balance out the lineup somebody that prevents it from being so top heavy but that's my whole spiel on jared walsh been a huge fan of him for years i people thought that he was a one-month wonder i didn't i 
saw how he changed his swing and made maybe adjustments, maybe improvements, and just with that added confidence, I I knew that he could succeed at the major league level consistently. And it, and it just seeing seeing a guy, especially a late bloomer, who was willing to do whatever it takes to succeed at the big league level. I mean, hats off to Jared Walsh, right? He he is the consummate perfect angel. I'll be totally honest. Uh, Shohei Otani pitched an incredible gem again uh, on Thursday, May fifth, yesterday against Boston, and you know just just seeing his development as a pitcher is insane, right? I mean, you remember last year in those first couple months or first month of the season where he couldn't find the strike zone, he got lit up in New York, and then he just kind of flipped the switch, and all of a sudden he was able to find the strike zone. Well, you look at this year. I think the I think the biggest thing Otani has done this year as a pitcher is his development of his slider. I mean that thi- that thing is disgusting, and it always was. But just seeing him throw it with more confidence and be able to throw it as a strike that's the big thing because you know that the splitter is not going to be thrown for a strike, right? But it's just so irresistible that guys are going to swing and miss. But when you can jump ahead of a hitter and sneak in it an O one slider in there, or if you're Falling behind the count two and zero, and also you just throw a slider in there that's about knee high. The ump's gonna call it a strike. I mean that that just gets you back in the count and just is able to kind of flip the cards of the casino, if you will. And so Otani, seven shutout innings, eleven strikeouts, lowering that ERA to three point oh eight. Six hits allowed, and to be honest, a few of those hits were just because of uh, bad defensive shifts, and that really wasn't Otani's fault. It's not like they were getting really great contact on him, but. I shout out to Shohei Otani. Even even if he isn't going to hit 46 home runs ever again in a single season, if he reverts back to being a 20, 23, 24 home run guy or something like that, just you can't you can't deny how great of a pitcher he is. And it was always really shocking for me because I when Otani first came to the majors or when he was announced that he was going to come to America. I just assumed that, okay, Otani as the pitcher would be the one that would succeed first. And then maybe he would either slowly adjust to being a great hitter in the majors or just give up hitting overall and then become a, become a great pitcher, right? Because, I mean, you look at the track record with a lot of the Japanese players that come over and other Asian players like uh, Korean players or Chinese players or Taiwanese players. And usually it's the pitchers who have, have, have more sustained success. And there's been very few hitters that have made the adjustments uh, to deal with major league pitching. But, I mean, he is just a unicorn out there. And, again, he's that – I say this all the time, and I think other people have said it as well, but he is that kid in Little League that just dominated, right? You know, he would pitch, hit home runs, and – just completely take over the game. And he had he had a single that Jackie Bradley Jr. lost in the sun in dead center field at Fenway Park. And you have to remember that dead center at Fenway Park is, it goes back to 420. Well, he's over by the bullpens, and that's maybe 410 feet. So that's, that's going to be a home run in at least half of the stadiums, probably more uh, MLB stadiums. Definitely Angel Stadium, that's a home run. And then he's hitting line shots off the green monster. I mean... Just unbelievable, and I'm still I'm still seeing a little bit of happy feet in his in his swing, and it's it does flare up every now and then. But if he can just have 
a few more consistent at bats where his where his back foot isn't moving and he's not hitching, he's not tap dancing or whatever, right, in the batter's box, then I think I think he can get back to that forty six home run form. And it's kind of been a joke that I've been telling to people that I know where I think that I've been joking that he ha- didn't take any BP and he was just really trying to focus uh, all of his practice in the offseason as a pitcher. And it kind of shows. I mean, I, I doubt that that's accurate at all, but it's just something that I kind of like to throw out there. But, I mean, just incredible, incredible performance from Shohei Otani. What else can you say? And then you know who's been proving me wrong is Anthony Rendon. Okay, Rendon in the last two games been hit hitting the ball a little bit, right? He had, yeah, he's had the home runs, he's had the couple, couple doubles, and it, it's just interesting to see Anthony Rendon have sustained success a little bit in the in the Angels because we haven't seen it for a while, and injuries do play a large factor in that. But I think especially for somebody like me who's just really cynical and really jaded about the Angels is that every time we just see a big slugger have this have this big contract, right, we just, I just assume, oh, he's going to be a bust because Pujols was a bust, Vernon Wells was a bust, Hamilton was a bust, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Gary Matthews, right, he was a big bust. But with Rendon, it's interesting because you have like these, these just like strange moments where where you, he, he just messes up and then you kind of roll your eyes and you think, oh, it's Albert Pujols 2.0, right? Like he dropped an easy pop-up. Uh, I believe it was in the Wednesday game against Boston. Yeah, it was the Wednesday game against Boston where he, he drops an easy pop-up and then you're just thinking like, what, what are you doing? But then he'll make an amazing play in the same game or the next day or something like that at third base and then you think to yourself, wait, this he's a goal, he's going to be a gold glover this year. Or... Um, who was it? I think it was, it might have been Hauk. I think it was Hauk. No, no. It was either Hauk or Whitlock. I can't remember which pitcher it was. But they threw him three high and in fastballs. And he swung and missed, or he took the first one and he swung and missed the next two because he can't catch up to high heat. And it was, it just looked pathetic out there. But then he'll, he'll take a, he'll take a low fastball all of a sudden and then drive it over the monster. And then Matty V is saying, oh, okay, Rendon can hit the fastball again, which I'm still sick. I'm still skeptical about. But if Rendon can hit the low pitches and hit the breaking balls at a, at a, just a very high sustained rate, it, it makes up for his deficiencies on the fastball and his deficiencies against high heat. So hopefully with Rendon, he can kind of slowly turn it around a little bit and just be a consistent force in this lineup and please, please stay healthy. But the one thing I want to caution about Anthony Rendon is that in baseball, baseball is the only sport, well, I, don't, I won't say the only sport, but the first sport for me that comes to mind where the offense actually is the one that reacts to the defense, right? Because in hockey or basketball, the offense can, they can push the ball or push the puck to wherever they want to on the playing surface, and then they can choose when they're going to shoot or where they're going to shoot from, right? But baseball, you're reacting to a pitcher. Uh, same thing in football, where you you call your offensive plays and it's up to the defense to react to it, right? But in baseball, you're at the mercy of the pitcher. And if pitchers are just going to throw Rendon high fastballs the whole time, then I still think it's going to be trouble and he won't live up to his contract. But if they can get lucky and if he can just mash 
anything low, anything that's off speed, then I won't say the contract will be worth it because he basically had two years, the first two years where it was just a complete wash. But if he can start to turn around a little bit this year, I won't be as cynical and as jaded as Anthony Rendon. And maybe, just maybe, I might fill out that Rendon apology form on Twitter. Um, I was very skeptical of the Anthony Rendon signing when it happened. I, I wasn't excited about it. I can completely admit that, but I don't want to wish bad things on Rendon, right? I'm an Angels fan. I want him to succeed. It's just history is not on his side, unfortunately. But I want, I want Rendon to succeed because I want the Angels to win. Just let me, let me have my moments when, when Rendon doesn't perform well. But when he, when he hits the ball well, when he makes a great play at third base, I will give him his due, right? Um, I'm not going to just endlessly, endlessly bag on the guy because, hey, he, he, had, he has had a lot of positive performances this year. And I think that, I think Rendon, like I said in the first episode, Rendon is the X factor for the, for the Angels. If he's healthy all season and he really, again, balances out that lineup, prevents it from being so top-heavy, and if we just accept that maybe he's not going to be this big 30-home run threat, but he can hit a lot of line drives and drive in a lot of base runners, I mean, hey, you know what? That's totally fine because we've had a lot of breakout stars like Taylor Ward and Jared Walsh to pick up the slack. So I'm fine with that. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about with the Angels is that Joe Adele was sent down. I believe it was right before the Chicago series. It was when he made that error. And... Uh, yeah, it was right when he made that terrible route to the to the ball left field, and then it landed in front of him, which and then it still went by him to the wall somehow. I don't understand with Joe Adele on defense sometimes, but I, I'm you know I'm glad that he got sent down to uh, to AAA Salt Lake, play with the bees, but I I don't understand why they brought up Jose Rojas. I really thought that they should have brought up a, a pitcher, a bullpen arm, especially considering how considering how much the bullpen has been worked this season. But, again, I, 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 just, I just don't know what to think about Joe Adele. I think, this, I think the ceiling is still there, but the floor is just so, so low. And sending him down to AAA is the right move. Get him some consistent playing time. Get him some consistent at-bats because I was, I was skeptical about how ready Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh were going to be this year. And... I just I just have to say this one thing about Joe Adele. Again, just like Rendon, I really want him to, su to succeed. But the more that we hold on, the more the Angels hold on to him, the lower his trade value gets. And I still really want the Angels to trade for a proven starting pitcher. I don't care. I don't necessarily care who it is as long as it's a proven starting pitcher. I, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter their to me their age contract. Uh, what their pitching makeup is like, what their repertoire is like, I don't care. As long as this starting pitcher that they trade for is somebody who's proven at the major league level for at least two or three years. And if Joe Adele is included in that trade, I I wouldn't be mad at it at all. And I it just Joe Adele is just such a complicated head case for the Angels right now. And I do think, though, that sending him down to AAA was the right move, and hopefully he can rebound. Hopefully, if he if he kills it in Salt Lake, maybe his trade value goes up, or maybe he maybe he can uh, or Sir Brandon Marsh, who's kind of been in a 
been a little bit of a fuck on this road trip. I mean, he did hit a home run yesterday, but Brandon Marsh has uh, kind of tailed down a little bit. And if Joe Adele can steal that thunder, I mean, it would kind of suck because they're such good friends. But with the way Taylor Ward has been playing, you can't take him out of the lineup every day anymore. So it, the Angels outfield is still a very interesting conundrum. But I think that's it. That's it. Uh, that's it with the Angels. A lot of things going on because I have been away, and just I'm excited. I think that this team has the confidence, and will that confidence show up every day? No, but it's a step in the right direction. I'm not gonna look at the standings. I'm not gonna look at stupid power rankings, and power rankings, in my opinion, are useless to begin with. So don't even look at that. But. This is a much improved Angels team. Uh, I sent out a tweet. I know I'm kind of going going off here, but I sent out a tweet yesterday where uh, my friend sent me this video last year, Albert Pujols limping to second base. I don't know exactly the context against the Royals. And this play happened exactly a year ago. He's limping to second base, trying to beat out a throw. He's like, Pujols is like two steps out. He slides. And then he, he's so delusional that he's, like, throwing up his hand on the up and saying, oh, hey, I'm safe. Can I call time to, to get back up and dust off and everything? And that was a year ago. And the evolution that this team has made in a, in a year just has made me appreciate this season so far. And so it's just a really good ride with the Angels. Uh, they're consistently winning for once. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it and don't take it for granted. But I'm not going to expect this team to be a playoff team. Again, I'll see me in August what the Angels record is, and then I'll buy into this team making the playoffs. But anyways, that's it. That's all I got for the Angels. And now let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks, who even though their season is over, there's still a ton of news about the Ducks. Stay tuned. All right, so even though the NHL playoffs are in full swing, and of course the Ducks are not even close to being a part of it, there still is a lot of news uh, surrounding the Ducks. And let's see, where do I want to start with this? Um, you know, okay, we'll start with the goaltending. There's two main topics that I want to talk about with the Ducks. Goaltending. So it was announced, I believe it was yesterday, yeah, it was yesterday, that the Ducks signed Callie Klang to a three-year ELC or entry-level contract. And if you're unfamiliar with the name Callie Klang and you're wondering, wait, who was that goalie in our system? Uh, that is a goalie that the Ducks got in the, uh, from the Penguins in the Ricard Raquel trade. So he was one of the prospects that they sent over. He is currently a 19-year-old Swedish goalie. And with the signing of his ELC, he'll most likely be playing in San Diego next year. Well, the Gulls have a goalie. And I'm recording this before Game 2 in their series against Ontario, which I'm not really going to get into. I don't watch AHL, so I'm kind of ignorant to that, so I won't really be talking about that because I don't know what's going on, really, to be totally honest. And you, you'll think that, okay, San Diego has a goalie, right? Lucas Dostal. Well, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think Dostal is going to be the goalie for the goals next year. I, I don't think he's going to be in San Diego. I really think he's going to be in Anaheim next year. And with, with the signing of Klang with his ELC, I think that opens the door for um, not... Uh, who, is, who is the goalie prospect that I'm forgetting now? Uh, for 
Gage Alexander. Okay, I just found him. Yeah, for Gage Alexander, who was a goalie that they drafted a couple of years ago uh, from the Winnipeg Ice to the WHL. And I think, so he hasn't signed his ELC yet. But in a few months, though, he will be uh, 20 years old. So he'll be eligible to play in the AHL. And then I think he's going to sign his ELC. And then you'll most likely have Klang will be probably be the starter in San Diego with either Gage being the backup or he is playing for the Ducks ECHL affiliate because they'll still probably they'll probably still bring back Ole Erickson Eck. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't. He doesn't really. No offense, but he really doesn't have an NHL future. But they might bring him back still as depth as just a backup, and if something were, unfortunately, were to happen to Clang or Alexander, then he would be the goal's full-time starter. But, again, I just, I think that the writing is on the wall. I've briefly talked about how I think that John Gibson is going to get traded in this offseason, and I think it's going to happen now, because they still have, um, they still have Sto- uh, Anthony Stolarz under contract, and it's going to be a contract year for him. So he he needs he has some added motivation to perform really well next year, and what I think the Ducks are going to do next year is you trade John Gibson to a contending team, right? It's probably going to be a team in the Eastern Conference because he's a well-known Pittsburgh guy, and he probably would want to stay uh, closer to home. And you know, you if you're the Ducks, right? You probably don't want to trade John Gibson to a Western Conference team, and you'll see him a lot, but. I think they'll trade him to an Eastern Conference team that is a contender or is at bare minimum a playoff team, right? I know people are joking and saying that, oh, do the New Jersey Devils need a goalie, which obviously, but Gibby's not going to want to stick around for a rebuild anywhere. So they'll trade him to a contending team. Maybe Toronto. I don't know if they can somehow figure that out. Um, I don't I'm not going to speculate on the exact location, but I'm just going to assume that John Gibson will get traded in the offseason. And it sucks. We've had to deal with this year with Getzloff retiring, and then Lindholm got traded, Manson got traded, uh, Raquel got traded, right? So, But that that's just the unfortunate nature of the business. And we have been, as Ducks fans, we have been blessed with great goaltending throughout the years. And even if they lose John Gibson, I mean, to be totally honest, Stolarz was better than him last this last year. And I don't think, you know, Stolarz isn't a better goalie than Gibby. But if he plays 50% of the games, though, I mean, you you could do way worse in the NHL, right? I mean, just look at, look at Edmonton or look at New Jersey, right? Um, but... I wouldn't be surprised next year if they go with a 50-50 split between uh, Dostal and Stolarz. Well, I think Stolarz will be the 1A, probably just because he has the more NHL experience and Dostal is still young. But still, it'll be a solid way to kind of ease Dostal, ease him more into the NHL game because he is the goalie of the future, right? Um, and I have the utmost confidence that Dostal will be a great goalie in the NHL, but He's young, right? He hasn't been in North America for that long, if you really think about it. And I think it's just a great way to ease him into the NHL. And then you'll have Kelly Klang being the starter for the goals uh, and with either Gage Alexander or Ole Eriksson backing him up. And so just when I saw that they signed Kelly Klang, which, I mean, it was going to happen anyways, right? Because he's, he's just turned 20. And, well, once they made that official, though, and he wasn't going to stay in Sweden again. 
once that happened, I just figured, okay, John Gibson is going to get traded. It's just a, it's just a matter of when. And they'll have to figure that out, and hopefully they can get it before the draft so they can get a first-round pick this year for him. I'm not going to speculate on what kind of return they're going to get for Gibby or what team they'll trade him to, but just as Ducks fans, I think you should be prepared. Be prepared and just just kind of, uh, I don't know, see the light, I guess, go to the light and just... Um, just prepare that John Gibson probably won't be on the team next year. And that sucks, but that's just the way that's just the way this game is. That's just the business of hockey, the business of all sports. And Gibby has said multiple times he doesn't want to be on a rebuilding team. And the Ducks are still rebuilding. Right? They had that they had that surge in the first couple months, but then they fell back to earth. This is still a rebuilding team. They are still, in my opinion, a couple seasons away at the minimum from making the playoffs. So I think they should just maximize whatever value they can get for John Gibson and just trade him now. Trade him before the draft or at the draft, something like that. Get, some, get a first-round pick for him that you could use this year, and we'll see how it goes from there. But just I don't think John Gibson is going to be on the team next year. And I'm just going to prepare myself and go into every episode until he doesn't get traded or something happens, and they have this kumbaya moment, but... I'm just going to assume he won't be on the team next year. Um, some other things about other news about the Ducks. Olin Zellweger was called up to, to San Diego uh, to play in their best of three, which is so weird, best of three uh, playoff series against the Ontario Reign, which they got blown out 7-4, to four, which that was kind of embarrassing. But well, with Olin Zellweger, I think it's really interesting that here they have this, here they have this left-handed, left-handed left-shot defenseman who – can move the puck well. I mean, pure offensive defenseman, right? Great, great skater. Um, just great at breaking out of the zone. You know, still needs to really work on the defensive game, I think, and the physicality because he's not the biggest guy. I think he's only 5'10", 5'11". But I thought it was interesting, though, and this wasn't planned at all, but it's funny to me that Kevin Shattenkirk's contract expires at the end of next year. And then that is probably going to be when Zellweger will be ready for the NHL. I don't think he's ready for the NHL. I think what I think what the Ducks will probably do is they'll they'll do uh, they'll give him the Mason McTavish or the Cam Fowler treatment where he gets the nine games or ten games. Yeah, I think it's ten games in the NHL at the beginning of the season, and then they just want to see where he is because you have to remember that Zellweger is still not old enough to play in the AHL, right? With the Agreement. He's still not. He still won't be twenty years old yet, and so they'll have to send him back down uh, to. I think it's the. Uh, I think it's the Everett Silvertips. I believe is the team he plays for, and yeah, it's yeah, it's Everett Silvertips in the WHL. And so I don't anticipate Zellweger making the Ducks out of, or I don't anticipate him sticking around after the ten games with the Ducks, and they'll have to bring him back down to. Everett and he'll dominate there and then be ready for the AHL or maybe even make the team straight out of camp in two years from now. But I think that it's just really interesting though at how uh, one one offensive defenseman's contract expires, then you have the next offensive defenseman waiting in the wings. And I think it's going to be incredible having having two defensemen who just skate so well, right? With Jamie Drysdale and then Olin Zellweger. I, I don't think they should play together. I You need to have that contradicting styles. 
And it's great because Zellweger is a left-handed defenseman and Drysdale's on the right side, and so you can kind of alternate them and create your own create your own pairs that way. Um, Zellweger has played a decent amount, though, on the right side, and so he's well-versed and versatile to play both sides, but I think we should stick him on the left side of the defense of the NHL. But that was just uh, some basic Ducks news that's been going on lately. And another thing, that another fun thing that popped up about the Anaheim Ducks was that yesterday was the five-year anniversary of the comeback on Catella. All right, that's game five in the second round against the Edmonton Oilers, where the Ducks were down, or they were down three nothing, and then all of a sudden they had this crazy comeback in the last five minutes of the third period, where Getzloff scored, Fowler scored, and then Ricard Raquel had the infamous goalie interference goal, and then in double overtime, Corey Perry, who else, right? Uh, scored the overtime game winner, and the Ducks took a 3-2 series lead in a series that they would win uh, seven games at Honda Center. And they broke, they finally broke that uh, game seven at home curse. And that was just, that was just a, a crazy, crazy series. And one of the most memorable playoff series in Ducks history. But I just wanted to talk about where, how I felt about the comeback on Catella. No, I wasn't there. I was... I was visiting the Grand, yeah, I was visiting the Grand Canyon and watching the game in a hotel room in Arizona. And me, me being kind of a negative Nancy, seeing that they were down three nothing with five minutes to go, and then, or that might have been like three minutes to go. I can't exactly remember. But they pull Gibby pretty quickly, and then Getzloff just unloads a clap bomb and deflects off of. I think it was Drysidle. I think it hit like Drysidle's back, and then it went past Cam Talbot. And then once that happened, I was giving them the Bronx cheer. I was like, oh, you guys finally score, blah, 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 you dead, you dead to the scoreboard, whatever. And then a minute later, they pull Gibby again, and then Cam Fowler just snipes it from the blue line. And just, you know, that typical Cam Fowler wrist shot where they just finds a way to go through everybody and then pass the goalie and then in the back of the net. And then all of a sudden, right, it's like that meme where the guy sits up in the gaming chair, right? All of a sudden, I was like, oh, wait a minute. They, they could do this. They still have a couple minutes left. Like, there's a lot of time. They can do this. And then eventually, right, Ricard Raquel, he gets that he gets that goal with Kessler falling down on top of uh, Cam Talbot getting pushed by Darnell Nurse. It wasn't goal interference. Uh, anyways. Um, and then once that happened, I mean, unreal. Probably, you know, I was jumping around screaming. It probably woke up everybody in the, everybody in the rooms next to me. And you know the Ducks had the Ducks had all of these incredible comebacks from 2013 to 2015, like in the prime of the Boudreaux years, and then they really became known as the Cardiac Kids. John Allers gave them that nickname, and it felt like 2013 and 2015 because in 2013 and 14 the Ducks weren't legit Stanley Cup contenders. I think the only time they were was between 2015 through 2017. But they would just get these wild miracle finishes in the regular in those regular seasons. And it felt like that, right? They're playing with house money. I mean, I expected them to go at least to the Western Conference Finals. And it just it just had this feeling of destiny. Like, I didn't think they'd be win the Stanley Cup or anything after the comeback. But it just felt so good to know that that from the year before, right, when they lost in the first round in Nashville, that, okay, this team is different. This team has the resiliency. And, yes, you know, they beat Edmonton in seven games, and then 
things kind of fell apart in that Nashville series, which, I mean, it's Nashville. What do you, what do you expect, right? At this point, if they if the Ducks have played Nashville again in the playoffs, I'll just chalk it up as a loss. Gibby got hurt. Nick Ritchie took that, took that stupid elbowing penalty, but it was just so fun and so exhilarating to relive the comeback on Catella. And yes, it happened in the second round. It didn't happen in the Western Conference Finals or the Stanley Cup Finals, but still, compared to what we have to watch about watch for the Ducks the last couple of years, it's just a really nice moment and a really great, great memory to kind of just sit back and remember the good times and remember when we were spoiled as Ducks fans. And th- this is why I think I'm not as negative about the Ducks is because they haven't had this extended mediocrity streak or extended streak of not making the playoffs. And it's really the first one of the first true rebuilds this team has done and they're doing it the right way i think and so just maintain that positivity about the ducks going forward and i think this team will be just fine um yeah but you know okay one last thing about the comeback on catella that i thought was crazy was that there are at the moment there are only three ducks to my knowledge on that active roster that are playing for this team now cam fowler john gibson and then uh, Jacob Silverberg. Like, that's crazy that they don't have Manson, they don't have Getzloff, they don't have Perry, Raquel, Lindholm, um, just Kessler, right? I mean, unfortunately with his hip, but uh, Cogliano, I, uh, it's just crazy to me at how, how quickly this game, how quickly this game can just, uh, how quick hockey and the NHL can be. I mean, it's just unreal to think that that was five years ago and that was such a pivotal time in Ducks history and with that core of players, right? But now we have this new young core of Trevor Zegers and Drysdale, Troy Terry, Mason McTavish coming up, right? And Olin Zellweger as well and Lucas Dostal. And I just, I just hope that this team, that these young kids coming up, and yes, they're younger than me, so I can call them kids, but, which, that's weird, but I just, I hope that they can just lean on the, lean on the leadership uh, from the guys that were, that have had the playoff experience, especially Cam Fowler, who I think will be the captain going forward, and, you know, for how much Sean Gibson is still around with this team, I just hope that they can really pick their brain and just understand what playoff hockey is all about and how to how to compete night in night out on a consistent basis and maintain that playoff position because it's really easy to to sprint in the first couple months of the season but then when you realize oh we still have like three more months of this i mean especially how brutal hockey can be it's a the season is a big grind and then you have to go in the playoffs and give 200 percent every shift out there and so i just hope the young guys can take a moment you know appreciate uh, great moments in Ducks history in the past, and lean on those guys. Lean on Timo Solani, and uh, Getzloff will definitely be involved in the front office as well. And just great times. That, I think there's great times ahead for the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, training John Gibson, I think, will be necessary, and it, it will stink when it happens. But again, Ducks fans, just prepare yourself. I think John Gibson will get traded. We'll see what happens though in the off season. And that's all I got for this one. I'll see you in the next episode. Uh, again, please download, listen, subscribe, rate the podcast, five stars only at the, at the Catelecast, and we are available on all podcasting platforms. It doesn't matter. Just type in the Catelecast and you'll find me, 
And um, also follow me on Twitter. Give me a follow on Twitter as well. I, I'm i trying to cut down on the negative tweets about the Angels, but you know it's, it's more fun to be negative. I'll be totally honest. I know Angels Twitter gets a bad rap for that, but it's more fun to kind of have these sarcastic quips out there. But uh, please follow me on Twitter, at Show. Again, that's at Show. That's all one word. And uh, hey, I don't know. Try to try to inject some more positivity into me with the Angels because, you know what? The only way at this point I could be more positive about the Angels is if they keep winning. And in spite of Joe Madden, this team is winning. And I hate I I hate to kind of get sucked in, if you will, but it seems like there are much better days ahead for the Angels and the Ducks and Anaheim Sports in general. So thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.